Welcome to Kotaku Split Screen, the show where we talk about video games one extremely excruciatingly specific topic at a time. I'm your host, Lisa Marie, and joining me today are my co-hosts, Ethan Gatch and Renata Price, because Fahey, our beloved co-host, is not feeling so great, and we really hope that he gets better soon. And so... Renata is here filling in, and we just wanted to send some love to Fahey and give an update on where he's at. He's getting better, and we hope he'll be back on the podcast soon. Yeah, Mike, if uh, you're listening to this right now, please stop trying to do work and just rest. We love you. <laughs> Get well soon. Please lay down and like just like vibe. Only hey Fahey, hey Fahey, just vibe for once. Just vibe. So on a bit of a lighter note, we are going to be talking about a new game that just came out that all three of us are playing called Deathloop. And we're going to be looking at time loops in Deathloop, but also in other games, going into a bit of some roguelike talk. And we're going to also look at time loops in other media. So I know Ethan is right now working on his review for Kotaku on Deathloop. Can you give us a little bit of a preview? The review will also be out by the time this is out. So no. God willing, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It's uh, It's been a real roller coaster ride for me. Um, we obviously are reviewing the game somewhat late because a certain company does not uh, respond to our emails. So I purchased this game like a like a real gamer in person and have been playing it the last week. I actually beat it on last Friday. And it's just been a very it's I think there's like there's like definitely stages of this game in terms of like, you know, falling in love with it um and then sort of learning some of its tricks and then seeing those tricks repeated over and over again. And there's just, there's definitely this weird sort of dichotomy between like the loop within the game itself and like you kind of breaking through the artifice of the game itself over the course of that loop and then like where the protagonist is at by the end of the game versus how I was feeling about the entire thing. And it's like, it's definitely, it's a great game in terms of like, I'm still thinking about it a lot. And it's a, the kind of thing I want to talk about a lot. But also, I think I'm much more conflicted than a lot of the initial reviews, which have been very glowing, very positive, in part just because I think I expect and hope for so much from Arcane Studios. Um, Dishonored, their previous, one of the previous games, uh, previous series, is, is probably in my top 10. And uh, I think that there's a ways in which Deathloop far exceeds what they achieved in those games and also is somewhat less ambitious um, in ways that I found disappointing. Yeah, I think I think Deathloop as a piece of design is really interesting because it like it builds off of like the immersive sim space in some really interesting ways. Um, I think uh, completely abandoning certain aspects of like what is associated with arcane games specifically around like ability choice or the ways in which you choose abilities, right? You're not looking at character progression. You're not looking at stats, right? You are looking at, you know, accumulating an arsenal over time and bringing that into particular levels, which is which feels different from how Arcane has been in the past, um, which is which is cool. Also, the fact that the game doesn't have anyone who doesn't want to kill you. It is a game completely devoid of people who don't want to murder you, which is, again, uh, a little bit odd for Arcane. Yeah, I think that's the thing I struggle with the most, is that it can feel somewhat stifling at times when you at least less intriguing to me to sort of crawl around in this world where it's literally just people who want to kill you and there doesn't necessarily feel it doesn't necessarily have this interior life that some other immersive sims can kind of uh, tend to flourish 
Yeah, I was also very surprised at how glowing all of the reviews were. Not initially. At first I was like, yeah, that that sounds right. This game is great. And then I was less infatuated with it, not so much because of the repetition, but because I found it to be really buggy. It definitely has some teething issues that I feel like we don't always talk about in reviews. And I saw someone online talking about, you know, how much polish does a game have to have if it's going to get a 10 out of 10, right? Obviously, no game is perfect, but I feel like I had a lot of issues. And I am much more forgiving when I review and we're looking at something before release. But this was after release and several days after where I'm still getting caught on bugs that will make me have to close out of the game, this thing out on like big loot. Um, I had a slab upgrade that I couldn't get because it was in a wall. Lots of people have talked about getting stuck in menus like while you're in the middle of a loop and you just have to force quit the game, essentially. Um, I'm wondering if either of you have had those experiences. I'm also not playing on PC, which appears to have the most issues. Oh, interesting. From the sound of it, I definitely thought you were playing on PC. Yeah, I mean, on, on PS5, I've run into, I think, not a lot of issues on the whole, but there have been enough moments where I, ha- I have definitely thought about, like, like, is it fine that the game seems broken in a way that's not like, oh, they'll like patch this and fix it, but just in a way where it's like, oh, the game's just, that's just part of like how complex some of these things going on is that like, there's just a certain margin of error you have to expect. Because I've definitely run into it, like, um, there's one particular level, which is somewhat more challenging because in order to break into it, you have to insert this like chip in your arm or something where you, you, your powers become uh, muted or whatever. And so in addition to not having your aggressive powers like blink and uh, like force throws and other stuff, you also don't have your like extra lives, which is something that the game gives you from the start. And so I finally, I, after one night of beating my head against this level, I finally did it the next day very easily in one rush. And then there's a special weapon you get at the end of it from this guy, Frank. And it's actually, there's a lot of loot, a lot of weapons in the game, but there are some that are like actually part, uh, they're like objectives in that they're one of a kind. And once you get it, it's like, you know, a big, a big unlock. And it was like just buried in the floor, like under the carpet. Like it just, wherever I, the way, the manner in which I killed him with grenades and stuff had blown him around the room in such a way that like when his loot all dropped, it was somewhat like within the matter. And so it's like, it was deflating in a way of like, oh God, I've got to go back and do that again now. And like, I tried a couple times and it was not driving as well. And I was just like, all right, well, I'll come back to this later. But then it was definitely like, because of the, the nature of this game and the time loops and the auto saves, there isn't like, oh, I can just back up the save and like go get the thing again. Um, and so on, on in one way that can be liberating, but in another sense, it's also like just frustrating. This is really interesting for me to hear because I haven't had any technical issues at all. Um, I've been playing on PC and have like come up against absolutely nothing. I think I think that one at the level you're talking about, Ethan, is, is is interesting because I had a very very different experience with that one, which is uh, which is fun. There are, there are ways where you can break into that building uh, that made it like. I don't know. I've, I've found that, honestly, I don't need the abilities most of the time, which is one thing that is that I find interesting. Like, if you just, like, hack a turret, if you hack a turret, carry that shit around in a briefcase, you're done. You're done. You don't got to do shit. Uh, and then you can kind of just, like, waltz through the place. Um, but, yeah, I think that's a bummer, especially because, like, 
I think that unlocks in this game, they've done they've done a very good job of making this stuff feel significant, right? Like getting that, getting Frank's gun, which can just like you can reload as you should. It's really cool. And like having that be undercut by like small issues like right. that is like is a bummer. Um rip to you, but I'm different. Uh, yeah, I well the thing about turrets too is they can get destroyed, especially if there are too many people. Like they're gonna get overrun and destroyed. Um I also find that the guns are speaking of the weapons really pretty in a way that I very much appreciate. So there's another like unique weapon that you can unlock um in the complex where you have to like do like a puzzle to get all the batteries and it is pink. I hate that one so much. Not the weapon, just that puzzle. Oh, I was like, what? That's my favorite gun. <laughs> no one could see, but I was making a face like, are you kidding me? But the puzzle's actually not that bad. I'm confused because... You can fuck yourself really easily. One... Yeah, so I actually accidentally threw a battery once and then got like trapped out of it. And like maybe there was a way to figure it back out or find a battery somewhere else on the level. But I'll just like F this. I'll just restart it. Yeah, if you break a battery, you're fucked. Okay, so I don't know if you guys have realized all the turrets you can take the batteries out of. Yes, I did finally realize that because I started to be like, wait, okay. why won't this turret turn on? Turret, please turn on. Oh, no. Oh, no. Now I'm dead. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I kept taking the battery oh, up no. accident. <laughs> yeah, so I didn't think it was that bad. I also would use there's like a stash of batteries elsewhere in that area i don't want to give too much away for people that want to figure it out so i thought it was fine um but it's pink and sparkly and like the grip has like hearts on it and i love it i love it so much and i also love that so also there are other guns that have unique designs as you keep going in that aren't you know the like one of a kind ones and you can see the patterns again but i love that this one is like a very op weapon and it's a whole it's got its own mission and it's very pink and sparkly and i feel like usually those are like options but they are not a main weapon and i really appreciate that design it's interesting. So like, I, I was kind of taken aback. I didn't pay attention much to the, to the preview coverage. And so to me, it's like, it was very jarring going into this and there being these sort of two different games. There's like the arcane immersive sim on the one hand, and then there's this very arcadey loot driven game on the other hand, that's almost like Borderlands-esque. And I, I haven't been able to reconcile whether or not they wanted to make the loot action game and we're like, and we're like, okay, we'll put the arcane spin on it with these immersive levels and the stealth and these powers. Or if they, and, and like that, so that whether that was driving it or just the fact that like they want to do this time loop and they're like, okay, so we want to keep having you do stuff. And one of the ways to keep that progression fresh is to, th you know, keep throwing upgrades at you and new guns and to dish them out that way. Because I definitely, I struggle with like, you know, games where I am on a loot crawl like Destiny and I'm like, this is great. And then games here where I'm like, I honestly didn't, I, once I got a few really good guns, I kind of stuck with them the whole game. And I never know how much that is sort of on me as the player not being interesting or creative enough and how much of that is like there weren't enough use cases on the levels to make me feel like I really need to make use of all the tools. So I actually think that Destiny is an interesting comparison here because the 
the game feels like a, what it has what are basically exotic quests. So like it actually it is it is very much in line with the destiny style of of like gun giving in a particular aspect, but not the overall like you know, you're not raising your light level here, right? But you are doing the like particular quest to get the particular gun, which I personally think is an interesting thing to pull from that series, especially because like these guns don't really have stats. They have one special ability and a certain number of augments you can slot into them. Uh, and so like, you know, there's barely a difference between one green rapier and another. But once you get up to that higher tier where you actually get the special abilities, there's some like slight differentiation, but it really, it's the quote unquote exotic or legendary weapons that are actually like worth going for. And it's basically, it feels like they, someone built a whole game around the idea of the exotic quest. No, yeah, I definitely, that definitely feels true to me. I also, I very much agree with you, Ethan. I have a few like that one. I'm, I'm blanking on the name. It's like, that's something, but, um, that I love to use. And there are a few others I have that I always have on me and that's about it. And so also when thinking about the other like loot aspect where you keep getting upgrades and you try and get like different upgrades, better upgrades, ones that fit your play style, like after a while, I'm like, well, I don't need any of these and so a big part of it like getting residuum kind of becomes boring because i don't need as much of it so like collecting it in the beginning feels very special and important and then as i go on i have for the most part all of the trinkets that i want i have the weapons that i want the only thing maybe is like collecting all of the slab upgrades but i don't really care about the progression anymore and also in that way, you can very much feel like very overpowered. I think a little too early on, if you get like a few guns that like, uh, especially the one where I was talking about where you're in the power station, it's really, you can get it pretty early and it's a pretty solid gun. And if you are able to wield it well enough, then you're kind of set for the most part, unless you're totally ambushed. Yeah, I think the game can break very early. I got once you get the blink ability from uh, Charlie, and you get I got early and all, and I just happened to luck into a hand cannon that that creates the poison clouds, um, which would not be that interesting on its own, except you can then ignite the poison clouds, mm -hmm. and they between a little bit of poison damage, a shot damage, and the explosion, it's just very easy to quickly take uh, mobs out. And I definitely was like, okay, now every level I'm going to blink to the objective, do the thing once I'm discovered, unload a bunch of stuff, and then blink out before more people can come in. And I think that it's partly because there's so much openness and freedom on the levels that it's, it's actually... I, I think one of the things to drill down on the time loop aspect, one of the things I was hoping for is that I would find, like, as Cole, the main protagonist, is like learning more about the world and recovering more memories that I would simultaneously as the player feel like I'm learning about this world through each loop and like, oh, at this time of day, they're on this level, there's more people over here. So I'm going to go this other way or I can go. And there are things like, okay, this door will be open where it wasn't before, or I can use this shortcut. But on the whole, I feel like it's just so easy to break the levels that I just don't even try to engage with those sort of that environmental storytelling aspect. And I just zoom to the objective like I would in Destiny and get out. 
I think that I think this is part of I, I wrote a piece earlier last week about how this game seems to be prioritizing descriptive character, like descriptive like character ability as opposed to prescriptive. So like in Dishonored uh, in pre in Prey, previous arcane games, right? You buy abilities which then inform your playstyle, right? Those particular choices inform the playstyle you have and, and inform the character that you're playing, right? The difference is that cults you can get all of them, right? You can get literally every ability and you can use all of them. Dishonored has a whole set of abilities that most players, or not most players, a lot of players who don't want to kill people never have access to. And it forces you to approach levels in a different way. The interesting, or not interesting, the thing about Deathloop is it gives you a bunch of tools and then allows you to describe your playstyle with them, but never then pushes you to invent something new. Because once you've got the thing, you've got the thing. And I think that this is like comes from a different model of player-centric design uh, that is interesting. Player as in player empowerment-centric design versus let us make the player feel something player-centric design. Dishonored systems feel like they are designed to make you have a particular feeling or experience, wherein Deathloop is that feeling and experience is empowerment is access to different spaces and letting you do whatever you want in them. Right. I certainly, after a while, feel like the satisfaction of playing is less from figuring out how to do something in a new way or figuring out how to beat an objective in a clever way and more just the, I shoot and I kill and yay, I did the things. And it's very like self-satisfying, but it doesn't make me feel like I did very much. It doesn't make me feel like I had to work for the victory in a lot of cases. I also think it's the, the time loop aspect. I just, it becomes harder to invest time in exploring in a way I would like, I, there's a couple, I have some, a lot of memorable moments from levels early on where I had fewer tools. And so was forced to kind of navigate more in the shadows and adapt myself more to the level but once you're able to start sort of imparting yourself and just like blaze through it, uh, it becomes harder. It, it would be, I would be more keen to explore if I weren't knowing that I was going to have to come back to this place four or five more times. And it's, I almost wonder, I think it's, there's, there's a mode in which you could do a time loop that doesn't rely on constantly re I, I don't know it's it's weird i i think i was expecting the world to change more from loop to loop i think one of the key limitations right or not is that you and uh juliana the one of the key sort of like frenemies in the game are the only two people ostensibly i, I believe there's another npc who exhibits some sort of memory but that you're mainly the only two who recall stuff from prior loops and so no one else in the game is ever adapting to you over the long term one of the really cool things people liked a lot about dishonored and i know it sucks i'm sure if you're an arcane developer to keep hearing us talk about dishonored because you're like this is death loop this is not dishonored um but was that over the course of the game you know, if, if you killed a lot of people, there's more rats, there's more disease, there's much more uh, enemies walking around later levels. And so the difficulty ramps up in a certain way that is, even if it's not, it's pretty one dimensional. It's kind of just like, it, it, it's interesting to see the world react to you um, and change over time. And I think that despite the time loop stuff, it actually felt like there's this weird sort of like lack of change in the game that like, even though you're visiting at different times, like, it's it is a very groundhog feeling of like you see the same guy step in the same puddle and you're like oh my god just don't even please stop I mean, i've got to get the thing yeah i mean they do that to a certain extent where 
within a single loop, the more visionaries you kill, the more the AI kind of ramps up and they hunt you harder, they get smarter. Um, but they also start dropping better loot. So it kind of negates the difficulty in a way because you're also still getting rewarded. And that just means the next time will be even easier as well. So I think they, they tried to do that a bit, but I don't think it quite worked the way that maybe they wanted. I, I also think that a lot of this, the effectively what they've made is four levels, right? If we if we take if we're if we're gonna use we've been using Dishonored a lot as a reference point, right? Let's 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 lean into this for a sec. Dishonored has like I think like twelve mis- eight eight missions, I think, right? What they have done with Deathloop is cut that down to four, and then allowed you to play them in whatever order, and in doing so, have kind of in shrinking the scale, have let early day decisions impact later areas, right? You know, killing a person who's going to go somewhere else later changes the area, right? The ripple effects are, you never see a ripple effect immediately. And I think that's part of this is that the game, because it is not a real-time time loop, right? It's not something like 12 minutes. It's not something like Majora's Mask. It's not... um it's basically you're you're taking options, right? So what you're doing is the choices that you would make in dialogue in a Dishonored game to kind of set up the next level where you're starting, where enemies are going to be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? That you're doing through play. You're doing through who you're killing and when here, but that is the only verb you have. The only verb you have to affect a later area is who do I murder at this point in time? And I think that can lead to a lot of it flattening in a very real way. Because that is your only verb versus Dishonored, where it's like, okay, if I talk to this person in this area, I do this side quest, we're setting something up later in a later mission, right? And I mean, they're, they're two very different schools of design. This is, again, where the prescriptivist versus descriptivist playstyle comes in, wherein, like, you know, Deathloop is descriptivist, right? You're describing your playstyle throughout the run by the things you do versus Dishonored, where you're making choices that then inform the actions and abilities you have. Yeah, I I feel like it's very funny having this conversation. And at least for me, I feel like I probably sound like I really don't like the game, but I actually love it. I think it's great. I have a lot of fun with it. There are certainly, it's not a perfect game, but I do still very much enjoy it. And I do love exploring the world and the stories and how everyone connects. That is easily my favorite part. And that is also what has kept me motivated to keep exploring. I think it's a really well put together piece of design. Like that's the thing is that like I it is executing on its goal basically perfectly, right? Its goal from like a narrative perspective. The question you begin this game with is why does this place deserve to die? Why are you going to destroy this city? Right? And then the whole game is answering that question. Every visionary you kill, every side quest is trying to answer the question of why are you doing this versus something like Dishonored which is like does can you save this place? And these different narrative questions mean that, like, while I think I like Dishonored more, I think Deathloop is is just as effective as a piece of design. Well, since we keep talking about Dishonored, maybe we should take a break and then just start talking about some other time loop games and get into some roguelike games. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. 
Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. All right, and we're back uh, to talk about some of the some of the many buckets that you can you know dump death loop into, and you know a lot of other games that use time loop mechanics in maybe a less explicit way or a less narratively involved way. But like, I didn't, I was not expecting. So we had Returnal earlier this year um, on the PS5 as well. That was from Housemark, and it's a pretty one of the interesting things about it was that you rarely see sort of bigger budget games take on that genre because you know at least now what's in vogue for like a standard casual audience is either like a giant open world with a checklist or like a very cinematic like linearly driven story like uh, last of us or god of war and so it's been interesting to see people sort of grab onto both of these games despite the fact that like there is so much backtracking and tedium involved in like redoing the same thing over and over until you've mastered it and, or until you've unlocked the secret. And I, you know, it's, it's just interesting to, to see how those genres are morphing and blurring between like what's a roguelike game and what's like an arcade game that you just happen to start over when you die. And um, I'm curious, like what other types of games you saw in death loop and also like what, you know, what, what games that involve time loop mechanics that people might not necessarily think of as involving time loop mechanics. I increasingly kept thinking about roguelikes and I was actually like not fighting with my partner about this, but having a spirited discussion uh, because I, I've been calling it a roguelike like, because obviously it's taking the repetition aspect from a roguelike, but it is not procedurally generated, which is the other core aspect of a roguelike, but it's still very hard to separate it from that genre for me because that repetition, that going back, that progression through time as you keep going is so ingrained in both roguelikes and in Deathloop. And so it feels a bit repetitive in the sense that it's technically the same, but you change it every time. And so it's not randomly generated, but it is different each time because you make it so. So that is what I keep coming back to. It is a roguelike like for me. Not to not to be the not to be the worst roguelike pervert on the show. Um, but my brain is really sick. Uh, and so I'm a fan of like, ASCII based like roguelike ass roguelikes we are talking the like I'm like deep like my brain is sick like I can look at a game that's just letters that's like just letters and dots and my brain's like I love this roguelike so engaging um and I think that that's where like the roguelite roguelike distinction is useful I think I think really um the term run based is 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 very useful because like uh darkest dungeon is Darkest Dungeon a roguelike? Not really. Um, it is run-based, though. 
you are going into these same areas over and over again and kind of taking different things into them each time, approaching them different ways each time, right? And I think run-based and roguelike have become synonymous in some ways that I think are a little bit strange. But also that, like, to time loop... Hmm. I'm going to say something fucked up. There is an argument that some people would make that something like 12 minutes is a roguelike because it's run-based. And at that point, we have we have we have lost all meaning. Language has <laughs> collapsed. Uh, we've fallen into hell. Uh, and I and that's what I worry about when I when I think that like the synonymization of run-based with roguelike is eventually 12 minutes gets counted. And I, I ain't counting 12 minutes for shit. Get that game out of here. So I guess the, the argument with 12 minutes is that you're accumulating, similar yeah. to Deathloop, mm-hmm. you're accumulating knowledge in, in runs, right? And then, so in theory, the game does literally reset, but your progression is based on the fact that you have like behind the, the scenes, like your character mm-hmm. has unlocked certain knowledge that allows you to, to engage in the run in different ways. I think, so my idea of Deathloop being a roguelike-like is also that you are going through the levels the same. Like there is a level generation that is happening and it's randomized because of you 12 minutes is a stretch i want to be clear i am not advocating for 12 minutes to be counted for anything either i do not respect that game (laughs) but yeah i think it's damn right really fascinating to think about that aspect and i also think about Something like Hades or Dead Cells, which we talked about a while ago, too, in terms of how Dead when I think about the loot specifically, and how Dead Cells really forces you to adapt different play styles, no matter what. And Hades kind of tries to get you to do that by encouraging you to use other weapons even if you have a favorite you get upgrades if you you know play through it more and more and you level them up and you might get more darkness if you use a different one and so it's also interesting that none of those aspects were here in terms of how do how am i encouraged to play in a different way I also think the other thing is to keep in mind that, like, the way function, like, time loops function from a narrative design perspective, and like, what, what a, what a time loop is like trying to convey to the audience, right? Both about like the text, but also like the systems you're playing with. Because like, think about Hades. Is Hades isn't a time loop? No. There is a version of Hades that is a time loop, right? I think that like part of the part of the like issue that I one of the issues that I have with twelve minutes is that twelve minutes is playing with time loops in a way that makes it a very easy analog for trauma. Twelve and <laughs> go ahead. I was going to say twelve minutes is trying to play with a lot of things very poorly. <laughs> right, and this is and this is one of them is the way that like trauma functions from a narrative perspective, right? Because the like. The way like PTSD functions is it recurs the event, right? Every single time a trigger is activated, your body reacts as if it is coming into contact with it for the first time. It is literally a physiological time loop. And the interesting thing about something like Hades is it abandons that. That game could be about navigating abuse through, you know, the structure of something like a time loop. And it, it'd be doing something different. The fact they chose not to is interesting there. And like the fact that death loop is about a time loop makes me very interested in it. Loop Hero, a roguelike that is about a time loop, is about navigating trauma. 
and it is about like navigating how communities handle grief and loss over and over again through recursive cycles. And like, I, I think that is like probably my favorite thing about time loop in games is the way in which it becomes a medium through which to talk about the ways people experience things and history happens. And like that is the most exciting part about time loops to me, which is why I think I I, I balk at the idea of, of all roguelikes falling into the into the big umbrella. Or do you mean all time loops falling into roguelikes or yeah. Yeah. All time loops falling into the into the all run based games yeah. even falling into the time loop umbrella. I also find in a similar vein that a big part of it is correcting mistakes. And I think we also saw that in twelve minutes. Um I wish we didn't, but <laughs> Uh, it's clear that Colt, without spoiling anything, was an active participant in this time loop and then strays from that decision. And a big part of this is correcting it and going back in time. And he can't actually go back in time in a way, but he can try and correct his mistake, which he's trying to do now. And I think that aspect is really interesting to see play out, especially as we learn more of who Colt is and his role in this world. Yeah, this is this is also why I think Loop Hero does a great job of this. Um, Loop Hero, an indie game from earlier this year that it like absolutely bangs. It came out on Switch, which was a mistake because that is a that game could be a life ruiner. Uh, in terms of in terms of how good it brings your brain feel. But I so I think so one of my the things that I, I grapple with is like there's how do you can you know there's a great line in the AV Club review of Deathloop about basically like, is there a way to make the time loop not ultimately tedious or is that necessarily baked into the premise? And like Loop Hero is a similar game to me. And I don't know if it's just a matter of balancing or a matter of like how you do the cutoffs, but like at a certain point it becomes like, okay, now I'm really interested in the the late stage of each loop and but i still have to like do all the churn to like just get there and you know my brain is kind of on autopilot for the first 90 percent of it and and in a similar way with like death loop towards the end where you can speed through so every the cycle has four stages and while you start each loop in the morning you can speed through tonight if the thing you want to do on that day is just at night and i mean i initially fought that urge because i was like no i should just make use of every day and there'll always be something I can do in the morning. So I'll go check my list and see like, okay, what do I still have to do? What, where can I go and, and get something done? But then towards the end, I was like, no, this is like, I just need to get the thing done. And like, there's no point in me grinding through the whole day. And so there, I think there's an attempt with death loop to sort of like short circuit, like, okay, you, you get the, the sense now of the loop now, just like only do the things that are meaningful. Um, now, if you die, you still have to go back and repeat and it becomes like a bit of a chore. I'm just wondering, like, if either of you think that that's like there's a way of escaping that part um, or that's just like part of the trade off. Yeah, I so one game that did this very, very well was Overboard, which was also on Switch. And I think a few other platforms, I could be wrong. But um one thing that's great about that is that you keep going through the run and you try and... Kill as many people as possible by the end, right? You're trying to get away with murder, and eventually one of the goals is kill everyone. Um, 
And so especially when you're trying to really perfect your run in the beginning of just trying to get away or trying to get the best outcome or then trying to kill everyone, um, you may eventually make one mistake and you've done like your morning portion perfectly. You've done like this other portion fine. And then you just mess up on the last bit and you can actually fast forward and just do what you did last time. And it is such a great mechanic that something like 12 minutes could have benefited from if you just said, okay, do all of that again, but now let me fix my mistake here. Right. And I think to a certain extent, Deathloop does that in the fact that you can just speed up tonight, but you also, because you have to set things in motion, then you would have to do that for everything, right? Like you, there isn't really a, a good way. I think that Deathloop does that. You could technically say like, I want to do exactly what I did, but now start the night portion over. But then it also gets close to the save scummy aspect that they were trying to avoid. <laughs> The um the zero escapes all the zero escape games all do this um nine 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 and uh, the other two the name of which I forget um they let you uh, you know on on subsequent runs just like fast forward the shit that you do not that you have already done and like I think that is I think that is a, a useful thing I think it really depends on the kind of game you're talking about because there's something like you know something like uh, a run based game like Darkest Dungeon. Darkest Dungeon is always going to, at least in my experience, basically always has a pretty engaging early game, right? The the key is 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 putting enough pressure, I think, on players to make the part of the space that you like have to get through always, you know, do something. This is what like you know traditional roguelikes are really good at, is throwing a bunch of shit at you and that initial bit of the game is like determining what your run is going to be right so like if i'm playing like rift wizard for example and i start into a mission and into the first level and i check to see what the next level is going to be and i see that it has like a nature token or whatever right i'm going to start a nature build and the thing that something like death loop doesn't do is encourage you to do a different thing from the onset by changing the environmental factors, right? Dead cells will change what you do because it gives you a different weapon. That early game isn't going to be the same because you find different shit. And so, like, I think that Deathloop has put itself, by letting you take weapons back and, like, set up your loadout beforehand, it has removed a huge part of its toolkit, right? It has removed the improvisational aspect from its toolkit and has just turned into the I need to get through this uh, thing, which I think I think is, like, I get why the loadout is important, but also it takes away that improvisational, like, spirit. Yeah, at first I thought that you were limited by the number of spaces for weapons you can see, which was still a lot. And then I found, no, it actually just adds a scroll mechanic when you add on. And I think if they had limited those, like what you can add, that might've helped, but it's Mm -hmm. still like Ethan and I said, we played with mostly the same guns after a while too. So there's that. (laughs) Well, we're going to continue on with the day portion, going into the night portion of this podcast. Yes, I'm keeping Stupid this joke. Going. Fucking dumb. Dumb <laughs> shit. 
I hate you. Okay, so my worst friend. This is the official announcement. Renata will never be on the podcast again. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. She's great. Um, but we will be actually moving on <laughs> after a really quick break. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello, welcome back. We are going to be talking about the ways in which time loops function in other pieces of media, whether it be books, movies, TV shows, etc. Music. It goes all around, BB. Don't most songs have some kind of loop? Like, it comes back to the chorus eventually? Yeah, listen. Musical time loops. Simple. Comes back to the chorus. Have a light motif. Yeah. Delicious. A good fugue. A good fugue is just a motif over and over again in different variations. And if that's not a time loop, I don't know what is. I don't know what you're talking about anymore. (laughs) So, so Ryan, what's your what's your go to like time loop media when you think when the, the concept is like put out there? What's the thing that springs to mind? Um, I think that, I mean, mostly mostly games, because I think games are the best suited medium to do it, but there is a um, really good anime series um, called um, ReZero, uh, and ReZero, basically the premise is it's, like, it's an isekai, which is like starting in another world, starting over in another world show. So guy from our world dies, wakes up in a fantasy world, right? And usually those shows are power fantasies. They're, they're fulfillment fantasies about the audience gaining special powers, the audience stand and gaining special powers, right? The interesting thing about ReZero is the power the protagonist gets is that every time he's killed, the day restarts. Uh, and so he is just a normal-ass dude without, like, any, like, he's just a normal-ass human who basically, if he wants to get the desired outcome of the day he's in, dies, and the interesting thing is the way in which it plays with it plays with the power fantasy of that and plays with the ways in which that idea can be like deeply manipulative and like deeply self-serving in a, in some like really really interesting ways. It is it is a really phenomenal show that like engages with masculinity and like entitlement in some like phenomenal ways and like uses time loops to do that and it just like it does all the cool shit with time loops and also is doing some like phenomenal character work. Lisa Murray, what about you? Um so I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this movie. It's called Groundhog Day. <laughs> no, I'm actually So this is going to sound dumb. I've actually never seen Groundhog Day. It's just like one of those things that I'm like, oh, I'll get to it eventually, and I haven't. But one thing I do always make time for is really awful, campy, fun horror movies. And so there's this, there's now a sequel, so I guess it's a series now called Happy Death Day. They also already, like, kind of previewed that there's going to be a third one. And I love these, like, 
completely silly over the top films. And I really love that how it plays with us, um, and how it also starts to play with like different timelines in general. And it is really fun, but the only thing that the character will eventually take is that they start, they keep dying and they start getting sicker and weaker. And that's the only thing they can take. They can take their knowledge. They can't take any notes. Like that's, that's it. And so it's interesting to see the toll that this starts to take on the main character, which is not always something that plays out, but that's a fun one. If you like movies that don't take themselves seriously and lean heavily into that, highly recommend. So I'll go real quick on the other end of that spectrum, movies that take themselves very seriously. Um, there's a, a science fiction indie film called uh, Primer from like, I think it was the mid, early 2000s, early 2000s. I forget the director's name, but he did another movie called Upstream that I really enjoyed. I think he has a third coming out. Um, but it's the basic premise is that there's just like these two engineers and they create this time machine device that I forget how many hours back in the day it transports them. But it's not it's not a full time loop in that um, it's specifically time travel. But there's this sort of like interesting time loop implication in that, like the time travel is so specific and so limited that they basically are you know messing with everything in this 24 day cycle until they realize that they can put a time machine inside another time machine and then go back even further. Um, but then they also have to like deal with versions of themselves that are that they're competing with during these uh, time horizons, um, which is, I think, actually, to go back to, to finish on time and back to the death loop, I think one of the more interesting things are these uh, sort of, there are these versions of Cole you encounter throughout the game that it's unclear if they're memories of himself or if Poggers. he's encountering other sort of versions of him from the time loop that are like metaphysically appearing because there's also some weird spatial alternate reality stuff going on in the game. Um, but I think it's one of the more interesting things is sort of like having to like, there's the sense of like the Groundhog Day and other stuff in which time loops are very lonely experience because you are sort of trapped in this thing by yourself and no one else can can relate to what's happening. So the one thing I enjoyed about Primer is this, this idea of like having to deal with external factors, including like how your other selves respond to, to, to being in these, uh, this weird sci-fi conceit. I mean, he's got Juliana. And the words that appear everywhere. <laughs> he does. You've been listening to Kotaku's Split Screen Podcast yet again. Probably not a, in a loop. Just listen to it again because hopefully you enjoy us. You can reach us via email at splitscreen at kotaku.com and on Twitter at Ethan Getch, at Marie underscore Lynn or at Ren or Raven if you want to check out our fill-in co-host, Renata. And if you just really miss Fahey, you can still find him at Uncle Fahey on Twitter. Our producer is Michaela Heck, and our sound engineer is Ryan Allen. Thanks for listening. <laughs>